Libby Writes with Brian Scott Libby. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights Podcast, powered by Twisted Tea. Today we have on Weldon Rodenberg to talk about Ole Miss's weekend portal hall, the changing trajectory of the program, a lot of moving pieces both on the front and back lines coming together to produce this, and the expectations for Ole Miss next year as they continue to build a portal class that has become the storyline of college football so far. So buckle up. I think you'll enjoy the conversation, though. Before we get to that, I want to take one quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Seaspire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with Seaspire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why Seaspire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime. Seaspire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. Seaspire provides one gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the Southern Alabama regions. Seaspire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new two gigabit and eight gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today to use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this podcast, Podcast, you get one month of free service when signing up for Seaspire. Check them out. Seaspire, customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Look, I tried to tell you guys, if you didn't sign up for Skybox at the beginning of the college basketball season when they put out their model, that is uh, on you because the last two weeks, Skybox clients are up 50 plus units total. They're up 22.4 units in the last week in college basketball. They rake it in every year. If you like college basketball and making money, which I don't know why you wouldn't like both of those things, you need to sign up for skyboxsportspicks.com. Go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. Sign up for a picks package that'll fit your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. Hell, at this rate, if you're not signing up for the year-long all-access pass, I don't know what to tell you. You're just neglecting yourselves. Profit. Check them out today. You got NFL playoffs coming up. You got the end of the regular season. You've got college hoops that they absolutely mop up in every single year, just getting into full swing. It is a tremendous time to try Skybox Sports Picks. Don't be the guy paying the man every Monday trying to figure out where the money's coming from. Have him pay you and uh, get a little extra Christmas money in your pocket. Check them out today. They're absolutely crushing it. Again, 22.4 units just last week. How does that sound to you? Sounds pretty awesome to me. Check them out. Skybox Sports Picks. Dot com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E, and that'll get you 20% off. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. This podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Right subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me, plus discounted meats. Right now, if you're a Rippy Right subscriber, just go in and show Greg proof of subscription. You get three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. If it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better. People will be like, where the hell did you get this awesome stuff? Like LB's University Avenue in Oxford. It is a crown jewel of the South, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here's Weldon. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Rippy Wright's football correspondent, Weldon Rodenberg. This was like your heyday time of year back in the day when you were a recruiting specialist. We got a ton to discuss. I didn't originally intend to, uh, for us to do a podcast on Sunday or Monday. I figured we'd check in with you at some point next week, a bit, thinking last week, that is. 
you know, maybe after the Wednesday signing day or whatever it is, but Ole Miss from about Thursday on, you could tell something huge was about to happen portal wise. And so here we sit before we kind of get in the Ole Miss piece of it, I guess I'll just ask you first, even looking back at it, you were there, well, you got out after the 2020 season. Yeah. The portal thing, even like a job you did for several years, how different does it feel where it's like, all right, these guys are committing. I don't really understand like the calendar here. Like how different does it feel even looking on the outside from when you did it? It is um, unimaginable to what some of these recruiting staffers are having to go through right now, coaches included, because yeah. it, it's so new for them still. Uh, I think especially just the the pace of it and the, the timing of it and just the recruiting calendar part of all this, including with bowl games. And it, it's just so much. And it all happens, you know, even though, of course, obviously doesn't happen so quickly because a lot of people know when these guys are getting the portal and who's in there. Some do it during the season, but it's become such a flood after it that the reaction is really the key to everything. And I know that we talk a lot about like, you know, people are pre-portaling and that's obviously something. And it's incredibly clear that, you know, a lot of these guys already know where they're going. But then you have the surprises that enter the portal. I know the the quarterback from USC, the Malachi Nelson kid, he entered and their their best corner entered. And, you know, the guy from Florida that's going to Ole Miss. I mean, it, they don't always know what's going on. And just having the capacity to get these guys on campus or to get them to listen or to figure out what the offers are along with continuing to keep up with the kids you have recruited in high school along with having to retain the guys on your own roster is just a total shit show um now I'm not working in it so I don't really care anymore it's honestly as it's been a lot more entertaining to watch from the outside and follow from the outside it feels like we're kind of back in the heyday of you know, 2013, 2014, 15, you know, those kind of crazy recruiting cycles. But it, it's just unimaginable the amount of time and effort and scheduling and communication that's having to go on in all these recruiting offices all around the country. Um, and it's it's got to be difficult because if I was thinking about where I would be right now, if I was in my same position at Ole Miss, I, I just wouldn't even know who I would be talking to or dealing with who am I dealing with am I dealing with you know the Grove Collective and Walker Jones are the coaches my main point of contact is it Austin Thomas who is still there am I with him am I talking to the freaking Jordans and Realtree it, it just it, it feels it's honestly that all this is such a uh, a way to complement the way that Old Miss has handled this because from the outside looking in knowing how it I think it could be going in some places. Ole Miss seems to be pretty aligned in how they've handled it. And that's as much of a compliment as you can give anybody because I just cannot imagine the just logistical nightmare that is college football during these three-week offseason before the bowl games start. Incredibly well said. I mean, I could picture a younger Weldon Rodenberg being on the phone with random ex-21-year-old transfer that you probably met a couple hours ago just with Walker Jones back 200k yeah no we have that I, I you're good man um i'm not i'm not sure the conversations go like that but who the hell knows but i think one of the the best points you made in that was this madness whatever this screwed up world is with the calendar and the portal and nil being screwed up Ole miss has created one of the best methods to it and i think it goes a lot deeper than people think uh, i have a story that's publishing at some point this week on kind of how the grove collective got founded and 
from Ole Miss getting organized from the beginning with the collective and William Liston and all those guys that found it. I mean, Will Liston has a, I mean, this is being the story, but Liston has a basically a boilerplate contract that he created from scratch that is used by collectives across the country now because there was no player friendly legislation. There was no such thing as a contract like that. Like Ole Miss has been at the base level ground floor of this and been one of the first movers and shakers, as I heard a lot during the interview process for writing it. Um, and it, it extends all the way up to the coaching staff and what Kiffin and them had done to try to make sense and try to figure out some sort of plan or figure out how to play the game in a ecosystem that is honestly just kind of erratic and volatile at all times. They've clearly done it the best way. Will it translate to a championship roster in a championship? I don't know. But you and I, I would say, have been cautiously bullish on that fact. Like, hey, Kiffin's doing a little bit differently. Yes, there's been some things, some years we didn't like what he did as much as if our opinion counts. But this is now that they've done it two, three years, this is kind of like, okay, this makes sense. Like, they've had two years of practice. They've been on the forefront of it. Like, it makes sense that they're kind of separating and becoming the story of this early offseason because of how they've handled everything since or since it started, if that makes any sense. This feels a lot different, though. Oh, it does. Um, it did feel like in the beginning, and it's not even, you know, it's not even Ole Miss's fault necessarily, but it felt like from 21 and 22, the way they handled the portal was like kind of shooting from the hip. It was like a guy's in, we're going for him. You know, what is our roster? Who knows? High school kids, who cares? You know, we're, we're just going all in. And look, they've had success with it. There's no denying that. And that they've – hit on a lot they've missed on a few and that's the name of the game it's not an exact science but this go around feels completely different it feels like there's an alignment a structure a pointed attack on how they're going to handle this portal and I don't really even know what to attribute that to you could compliment everybody you could compliment Realtree for hand it seems like they're very involved in this um, I have no doubt in my mind there are regular boosters of which I've met that are doing a lot behind the scenes that just aren't on Twitter. Uh, that is just without a doubt because I know these real tree guys have a lot of money, but they don't have that much money. You know, uh, they can't just be funding this themselves. Um, the coaching staff are being able to adapt and be able to attack and be able to sell kids because look, NIL is a massive part of what they're doing right now. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. But they also have a proof of concept of how they've handled kids in the portal in the past. And people take notice of that. And these kids are seeing, okay, Ole Miss, they have a really good team coming back. They're willing to pay me plenty of money. Uh, I have a place on that roster. And it looks like they're going to be very successful going forward. That's easy to sell. Um, There was always a saying about high school recruiting that we would always say and we would always tell anybody and, you could sell things so many different ways, but, you know, in high school recruiting and talking to those kids, winning helps and losing does not hurt because you could sell if you're winning. Okay. Come be a part of a championship program. We're winning. We're on the roll. Come be a part of this. If you're losing, you could always be like, Hey, you know, you've got a spot here. You can come play early. You can come be part of a bill. You can spend it either way. I don't believe that's the case in the portal. And I think Ole Miss is hitting a perfect balance of, hey, we're winning and we can pay you. And that is probably the only thing that matter to these portal kids. Because you're looking at teams on the other spectrum, and I guess we can talk about the ones in-state, not having as much success in the portal because they don't have a proof of concept. And there's no guarantee they are going to win there. 
you're seeing teams in the portal that are doing really well. Missouri, Ole Miss. I mean, Colorado is just a complete exception over there. But even Louisville, it's like, hey, we won a lot this year. We're going to continue to win a lot. We have some money for you. Come on and let's do this. And they, Ole Miss is doing it at a level that I don't think anybody else is right now. You mentioned, you know, finding the method to the madness and like who to give credit for. Like, does where does it come from top down, whatever, and how this came together. There's and again, I don't want to keep reverting back to a story about the by the time this publishes, no one's probably read yet, but it is enlightening to see what you mentioned, like the first couple of years and how this feels different. It's like Ole Miss was kind of firing from the hip. Well, now kind of seeing it through the other side and seeing this very calculated and so far a very successful attack of the portal. It felt like, yes, maybe we didn't understand it. Maybe Ole Miss didn't understand it for the most part as they kind of sifted through the wilderness that was the portal and NIL on the 2021 and 2022 off seasons. But it almost feels like there's this race to crack the code to how to figure out this screwed up ecosystem and this screwed up calendar. And Ole Miss, after years of being portal heavy and almost having more experience, for the lack of a better phrase, than anyone else, has now gotten close. Maybe they've done it. Maybe they've gotten as close as possible. And the reason I say that is there was trial and error to how this worked on the back end. And I don't want to divulge too many details of kind of what I learned about it, but particularly from like the money side and how you attack kids and when you can attack kids, how that worked, there was absolutely trial and error from 2021 to 2022. And now from the front end to the back end of the operation, whether it's Walker Jones and or the coaching staff, whomever else, there's no like synergy there. And they're all kind of coming together and figuring out how this works on the same page. I I know that for a fact, and I I can't begin to explain in any sort of detail why that's the case. Not that I know every detail, but it's just kind of happened. I'll use this as an example. I had a a, a dear buddy of mine who used to cover an SEC East program. He has since gotten out of the industry like me, but kind of still dabbles in it part-time. He texted me over the weekend and was like, hey, like, What's going on with Ole Miss? Like, how, how basically, how are they affording these dudes? And, you know, I could have been like, hey, real tree, um, which I'm sure is a huge part. I don't mean to like, uh, like make fun or not like poke fun at real tree at all, but no, like that would have been the simple answer. But he, I was like, well, what do you mean? And he was like, well, I mean, when UK needs a couple guys, they usually just kind of not do it the old fashioned way. I think there's a Kentucky collective. Actually, I'm pretty sure there is, but like it's still hitting up, hey, XYZ and D or whatever boosters. Like, can we afford this kid? And I was like, no, 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 no. Like Ole Miss did that in 21, but Ole Miss in 23 has a guy running the collective full time with a fundraising section, a social media section, a website section, a branding section, a fully staffed collective. Like that's not how this is running here. And it made me think about it a lot of like, maybe they have just kind of figured out a pretty well-run operation when you're not going to have the resources of the tradition or the history to just land four and five-star kids out of high school every time. And I'm not saying Ole Miss has made it and this is, here to stay and that they figured it out and this is just going to be the norm. But clearly after a ton of trial and error, some of it by necessity in the portal of the first couple of years, this is now a different feeling because it's like they know how this works. Just think about what happened today to Cameron Richardson, a kid that I even remember from recruiting back in the day from Bossier City, Louisiana is at Mississippi State. He takes a visit to LSU this weekend, stays the entire weekend. And then makes like a quick trip to Ole Miss, I think, on his way back, I guess, to Starkville. I don't know how it happened. He's from Louisiana. He's transferring from Mississippi State and is there for the entire weekend. But he ends up at Ole Miss. That just doesn't happen that often. First of all, from just a scheduling standpoint. And second of all, from a kid from Louisiana that's transferring, not going to LSU and ending up at the in-state rival school. That is 
as good of a reflection on what they've got going on as any. Because we look at how a lot of these teams have been dealing with the portal. I think LSU, just because I know more about them, they have just been attacking kids that have left Louisiana and come back. And they didn't get that one because Ole Miss was on them first. Ole Miss set up a very similar deal to him. And then at the end of the day, yeah, NIL is a lot, but just having all of it connected together with a coaching staff and Golding that have just been elite at recruiting defensive players in the portal and honestly in high school as well, it, it's just a completely different game that they're playing in the transfer portal. And you're seeing it seep into what they've been able to do in high school. They're not perfect. I mean, they lost the the really, really good running back to Missouri. That happens. You know, you're never going to go hit 100%. But their hit rate in the portal by the guys they've targeted this offseason is off the charts. And, of course, we're still on Walter Nolan watch as we are recording this on a time-stamped 637 Monday night. So they're still the big fish out there. Um, but it, it's just crazy. I mean, what they've been able to do, the momentum they've created. And that's a real thing, too. You know, once you see a guy like Princely from Florida and then you get the two Tennessee guys who are – not local, but local enough. It, it all comes together, and guys see other guys being a part of this. I don't even think they're overpaying for these guys. I don't know that for a fact. But clearly they're not because they've been able to add so many so quickly. You know, you, you, your funds do have a limit, I would imagine. I don't think we are, you know, an oil country out there in Saudi that can just pay everybody anything. You know, there, there's limits to this stuff. But their organization, their communication, their travel, the way they've handled everything has just been as good as anybody in the country. You know, when I talked to Walker Jones for the piece, uh, I did ask him if he'd heard from Yasir, and uh, he said no. So I think we can rule that out. <laughs> I didn't Not yet. He'd <laughs> be like, what the hell are you talking about, man? No, but you're exactly right on that. And the part we talk about what feels different. Well, I think it was probably around the time you texted me on Thursday or Friday, whatever that was. And it's the fact that they're getting dudes who played and had significant roles at other SEC programs. I mean, I was just doing some quick math, and I may be off by a, a one or two here. But between Princely at Florida, the two kids they got at Tennessee, and it's really just the uh, edge guy, McDonald, or excuse me, the edge guy, Barron. If they add Walter Nolan, they will have added 17 or 17 and a half SEC sacks from their roster last year. That's not common. No, it, it is not common at all. No one's really done that for, especially for just one position group. I know Ole Miss did a, I mean, they poured a ton of DBs last year, but they saw a need and they figured out what they needed to do in order to fill it. And as of right now, they have done a hell of a job. And if they are able to close this Nolan deal, who is an absolute impact interior defensive lineman, rush, pass rush, I mean, all of the above, then now you're looking at a, a team and a defense that has a completely different makeup uh, than really any Ole Miss team we've seen under Kiffin so far. Uh, and that's just not even including, I think, most people that have been talking about this have been talking about the fact that this is not – a lot of filling needs because they had so many needs. Yes. They have so many guys returning. They've been able to retain, you know, a lot of their key players. And it feels like a lot of those key retainees have been on offense and they've spent the money in the portal on defense. And, you know, the defense was good last year. It wasn't great. It wasn't elite by any means. And it needed massive adjustments. But 
not so massive that it was like we have to go in the portal to get these guys. It's getting to a point where it's like we get to go get these guys. We we need to get these guys. And as of right now, they've hit on damn near every one of them. And maybe that's how, as we keep reverting back to, I think it's well said, like how it's all coming full circle. Remember, we talked about 21 and 22. Like, hey, is this going portal heavy? Is sustainable? Well, they felt like they needed to or they had it had to. Well, now they get to the point where they have a bunch of guys coming back off of what was already a fairly veteran team, even though it was a bunch of newcomers this past year. But you hit a little bit of the perfect storm of, you know, Trey Harris was like, hey, I'd like to come back. Caden Priestcorn says he wants to come back. Uh, Judkins has another year. By all accounts, Jackson Dart is coming back. I'll just leave myself the out there, but I'm pretty damn positive he's coming back. Uh, J.J. Pegueese comes back. You get the list goes on and on. Well, then you get to the point where it's like, we don't have all these needs that we have to fill out of the portal. But now that we've kind of figured out how this portal thing works, we can still go get awesome dudes to plug and play and add depth in the portal. And I'm not saying Kiffin or the staff even had the foresight to know that this was one day going to be the case, but that's what this feels like, right? It's like they had an asset that they figured out how to use very well. Now they get to a point where they have a decent bit of depth. They have some returnees. It's like, well, instead of, you know, not instead, but instead of, you know, signing 25 high school kids and just continuing to pad the depth in the long term, why don't we just go get a bunch of dudes who already had sacks in the SEC because we can, not because we have to. Oh, definitely. Uh, they have seen the, a window open uh, with the new 12 team portal with the actual guys they have on their roster. And they've taken advantage of the one thing that they have that's better than everyone else right now. And that is their collective and their organization. You know, they yes, that is the look, crux of this. That is really the crux of this. And that's not taking away from how well Kiffin and Joyner and Golding and Nix and everybody. I mean, because like, look, you have but to, they're part of getting organized. They're as big of a part the, as the people who worked on the back end. Absolutely. So they, they are all rowing in the same direction. No one's going rogue. There's no misunderstanding. I mean, if I can tell you how impossible it is to figure out coaches travel, that was just with high school kids, how hard it was to get everybody where they needed to go for whether it was before a game on Saturday, going out Friday nights, wherever it was a road game, home game. And then in the contact period, I mean, it's just, it's just insane. And then seeing all of these tweets and videos and pictures of like where Kiffin and all these guys have been all over the place. I mean, I just cannot imagine the calls to all these FBOs like, Hey, the plane's going from Knoxville to Memphis up to Indiana, then over to South Carolina. Like, I mean, it's just incredible that they've won, gotten these visits set up, which is so I can just cannot not imagine how many calls all these portal guys are getting, but they're just beating everyone to the punch. I mean, they are just bitch slapping everybody in the portal right now. I mean, it's true. I mean, like, there's you'll hear these stories like, oh, this guy's interested in this, 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 and then you know, oh, Ole Miss is interested, and they just landed everybody. Truly, they have landed, I think, everybody. Of course, we have Nolan waiting that they have really gone after in the portal. And some of the guys, you know, it's clear that you know, whether they just return to their school, like that Indiana kid, or the guy in Texas, Trey Moore, like doesn't seem like that we were like once that first contact is negated, Ole Miss like fine, we'll move on. But once they are able to actually go see the kid or the kid comes to campus, everything is laid out, lined out, and ready to go. And it's just been a completely different game than I think Ole Miss has ever been able to play, and they're doing it better than everybody else. You're dead on with that part of it, too, because it's – I mean, I think the proof is 
the proof is in the suddenness of some of it, like the two Tennessee guys and granted last week, I was pretty swamped at work. So I wasn't in tune with Chase and Neil's recruiting nuggets throughout the week. I just don't have the bandwidth to hang on to that every single day. But like those two guys, seemingly from a guy like me, I would say that's maybe like the average fan out there in this sense of like, Hey, I'm somewhat like connected to the news, not in terms of like sourcing or plugged in, then all of a sudden it just happens. I think that speaks to what you're talking about. I was like, all right, this kid's in the portal. Like, okay, he's interested in this. Bam. Okay, never mind. He's committed to a Miss. I think we, we keep talking about the organization. I think that's where that comes from, right? It's like, okay, he's interested in this. Oh, never mind. He's headed to Ole Miss. They, like you said, beating, I think the greatest phrase you've said throughout all this is beating people to the punch. They figured out how this works and how this happens. And boom, this kid's now an Ole Miss rebel. And it's, it's wild to watch unfold. And I'll ask you it in this way. What uh? At what point was there a certain kid throughout this three and a half day frenzy? We're like, okay, maybe this is a little different than I was expecting. Was it? I know Princely had been anticipated for me when they got the two Tennessee kids that had played a decent bit. I was like, okay, maybe this is something different. Was there a moment like that for you? I think it was the Tennessee kids. I think it was getting both of those those guys. They entered the portal around the same time, and you saw like, oh, you know, Barron's considering Texas and Alabama. And all that stuff. And then next thing you know, Kiffin's at Knoxville, then the kids are on campus and then they're committed. It, it was like seamless. It, it was like there was never any doubt. And it's not like Ole Miss is competing against themselves, which happens way more than you would think in recruiting, where like, you know, you'll hear all these stories from different beat writers like, oh, it's a big battle. Like, no, it's actually just one team and it's just a matter of getting it done. Um, they're going up against Texas. They're going up against Alabama. They're going up against LSU. They're going up against A&M, Tennessee. And they just seem to be better. And I don't even know how to explain it. Look, I mean, money is, is part of this, but the idea that you're just going to outspend everybody for every kid is obviously not the case. I think there's a lot of relationships that Golding has from recruiting a lot of these kids while he was at Alabama, these highly rated kids. I mean, I remember Barron from Knoxville Catholic. McDonald was a guy that I recruited personally because I was on staff. I mean, he was with that was the a White Memphis Haven. kid, right? Yeah, he was a Memphis kid, part of the White Haven Three with Martavius French and and um, Bryson Eason. If the, for anyone that really follows recruiting, they'll remember those three. Um, and then Princely. I mean, Princely is from Austin, Texas. He's from Manor High School, right outside of Austin, and they're all just ending up at Ole Miss. And I would like to say that that's because we are just the best recruiters in the world. That's, I mean, they're doing a hell of a job, <laughs> but it's really, to me, it's the coaching staff plus the money plus the organization that is just killing everybody for guys that they don't have any connections to Ole Miss. Not a lot of these, I mean, Juice Wells has no connection. He transferred from James Madison to South Carolina. Then he's at Ole Miss. Princely from Austin goes to Florida. Now at Ole Miss. McDonald and Barron were at least a little bit closer, but we're not really. I mean, Key Lawrence was at Nashville and, you know, we recruited him way back in the day, but he's like, he entered the portal and then he was just going to Ole Miss. And it, it's just really, really impressive. It's a completely different world that we're in. And there's only so many teams doing it like Ole Miss is doing it. And I, it's not over yet. And I, I think, that you're going to see so many more kids get into the portal after the bowl games. It's already kind of starting. Kids are opting out. Um, and I think they've got such a great haul. Of course, they got to get them to campus and in classes. So it's technically none of this is over yet. 
Um, yeah, there's no now, NLI with this. Yeah, no. I think it's just once they step foot in the classroom, it's over, uh, I think. I mean, even then, who really fucking knows these days? Um, but I, they will be playing from such an advantage in that second round because they've hit on so many in this first. Like, they're not going to have to it, – it's kind of like when a kid doesn't sign in December these days and they sign in February – you know, the, the bidding war goes up so dramatically, not because he's such a better player than he was one month ago, but because the the pool is smaller. They're not going to have to do any of that uh, coming when these kids lead the bowl games. They're going to go for some offensive linemen, and that's where they're going to put all their effort for, I would imagine. I think they've got their receiver. They've signed a really solid high school class. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. And then the def- on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, maybe some corners, but that's it. It'll be offensive line and maybe a running back, depending on what happens with Bentley. But it'll be way more contained, way more focused, and they'll be you know running so far ahead of everybody else where I think if you look at a school like LSU, just because I know their situation, I mean, they've got a lot of things to fix, and they have not exactly fixed any of it yet, um, and you're way ahead of them. And the fact that you mentioned about how it's not over yet, one of the things I was texting a buddy of mine today who was, he's an Ole Miss fan, he was excited as anyone about what happened over the weekend was, I said the same thing. It's not over yet. It's not over in this first wave, of course, but it's also not over in the second wave. And what have we talked about, you know, over the last couple of years about what the second wave, the post-spring portal is like? It's adding on the edges. It's adding on the margins. It's not guys that you're going to see a 55 thread message board post or 55 post message board thread over because there's a bunch of, um, you know, blue blood schools after him for the most part. And that's how it goes. It's a bunch of dudes that you're like, okay, that seems a nice pickup. And I don't remember. These are probably not the greatest examples, but it's guys like the Dejon Anthony from what was he Liberty who who the kid they bring from Ohio or Gaddy from wherever. He, again, I don't know if all the fact, but all those guys. Saunders and Gaddy. And, yeah. Anthony was from Liberty. But it, it's people like that. Dejan Anthony from Liberty. Sorry. You're right. So uh, John Saunders, Miami of Ohio kid, but it, it's, it's people like that. It's adding on the edges where then you get to the fall and you're like, Holy shit. Those guys made a huge impact. I, I mentioned all of that to bring up the point of like, Yes, like the big name and the 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 splashy part of it may be nearing its end or in ending after this first cycle, but Ole Miss has also been proven to be the one of the best programs in the country at adding around the edges in the second portal wave. And that's another encouraging piece of all of this. Yeah, the the May one has not been as active as I think a lot of people thought it was gonna be. It's been the opposite. Uh, it's been the opposite. And I think Ole Miss has done a really smart job of not going after so many guys with like a ton of eligibility left, you know, like a red shirt freshman or a true freshman that gets in and out. Like, cause they, they don't know anything about them. And it's like, why are you leaving? Why do they let you go? What they've done, especially in that second portal. And really in this one too, is getting a lot of guys that are really good football players that have played a ton of football. You know exactly what you're getting. Whereas I think some of their mistakes have come with guys like, you know, Chris Marshall, um, you know, uh, what's our guy, Trigg. We're like, they haven't played a lot of football. They're they're highly rated kids, but we don't know what you're getting with them. That That's not what they've been doing. I think they've been learning. They've been adjusting. There's been trial and error with the way they've gone about who they want out of the portal. And, yeah, look, they're still going for the best players, 
but I think it's it's a little bit different. Like, you know, they don't have to look for quarterbacks. So they don't have to go into the ranks of, oh, and Dante Moore kind of looked good and uh, the kid from USC that's leaving. Like, we don't have to worry about them. Now you're just like, let's just get guys we know are good football players and we'll get them in here. We can fix the culture with them quicker because we know the kinds of kids – or ideally, you know the kinds of kids that they are. That's been a bigger emphasis – um, it, it's just it, everything, like I said, from the beginning has felt in this portal cycle, this 2023, 24 portal cycle is completely, well, not completely, but very different from the way they're handling it in 21 and 22. But at the end of the day, they've still been successful no matter what. Um, and it's just a, it's a credit to everyone involved. We will get back to Weldon in just one second, but before we do, I want to take a real quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted Tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted Tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted Tea is there to elevate your game day experience. It perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments. So let's toast to unforgettable game day experience. Twisted Tea, the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football. Keep it twisted. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Mary Claire Boudreaux's doctorate-level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy, parent training, is, and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of Mississippi. With MC Speech Therapy, you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships. For service today, call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mcspeechtherapy.net. That is M-A-R-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E at mcspeechtherapy.net. All right, back to Weldon. It really is. And on that piece of it too, the I think the chemistry part of it too, because I would say the natural negative reaction if you were just trying to poke holes in this whole thing is, well, now you get a bunch of highly paid guys. What happens if they have two losses in September or, or by early October? Then it's like, all right, these guys are going to quit. And Ole Miss, not uh, quit's a strong word, but Ole Miss dealt with some chemistry issues, not on a large scale, but a little bit throughout the end of the 2022 season, whether that some was it, some of that was induced by their head coach and how the Auburn circus played out. We don't have to relitigate that again. My God, I would actually pay not to have to talk about that ever again, but it's still relevant. But the fact that they had the 2023 season where they brought in, what was it like 52 or 48 or whatever it is, new guys. And yes, it helps when you're winning, but bought into all of this. And it's a team that actually likes each other. I'm not telling you if they figured out the Dr. Phil magic recipe where all these dudes are going to love each other. Nobody's going to quit. And it's just going to be awesome stuff in the locker room all the time. But we keep talking about proof of concept. At least it's there too. At least you can figure out, like, you know that, Hey, they brought in a bunch of new dudes before and this stuff has worked as opposed to, Hey, you have all this talent. What happens when adversity strikes four games in? And then the last piece of that too is now as a 12 team playoff, if you lose two games by September, 
Don't get me wrong. You're up against the eight ball, but like you're not begging guys to continue to try. Like there, there's more opportunity, more reasons to be invested as well. No, I, we could talk about like their issues with culture and I'm not saying like their issues that they have right, right. now, but like the potential of that. Um, but last year with the amount of guys that have come back or that are coming back for next year, I just don't feel like that's going to be an issue. You, you've got the leadership. Yes, exactly. there. You've shown how you've been able to adapt and figure out what you need to do from a buy-in standpoint for a lot of different guys coming in from a lot of different schemes, a lot of different places coming in and getting them to buy into what, what Ole Miss does. Um, and, I mean, it'll be an incredibly important part of this. And it's not over, like we said. There will be more guys that are coming in, and there will be more guys that will leave too. Um, but they just are looking ahead at a schedule and an opportunity in this 12-team playoff, and they've decided pretty clearly that we're going all in. We're, we're going all in on this. And – I mean, you can talk about the future, but honestly, the way that college football is, who gives a shit about what happens in 2025? This is all one year thing from here on out. I mean, it, that's it. Your roster is one year. Your players are only <laughs> guaranteed to you for one year. I mean, that that's all that matters. That's all that matters. So I don't really give like two shits about what anyone thinks about whether it's sustainable anymore. I think we've gotten to a point that if this is the way it's going to be, and Ole Miss is going to do this, and they've proven to be successful with it, then fuck it. Just keep doing it over and over again. I'm completely off of my thought this is completely unsustainable. Now, that doesn't mean you you can just completely ignore high school. I, I do not agree with that at all because you want to have the ability to retain players that are really good that you have signed. Like you have the uphand advantage of having those guys on campus, in your system, around them, know the relationships. If your biggest problem is that you have to spend a lot of money to retain really good players already on your roster, that's that's manageable. You, you can figure that one out. You can handle that issue. If you're on a team and a roster, your biggest issue is being able to not leave, have everyone from leaving, like AM or even a Mississippi State-ish. That's a completely different deal. They have really not had that issue. And as long as they can keep that the case where they're signing re really good high school players, supplementing it with really good portal players, just keep doing it every year. Fuck it. Doesn't matter. It is. And that's until this system gets fixed. And I have my doubts about how it ever is. You're exactly right. We kind of reached the point of like, yeah, sustainability. Like, okay, whatever. It is what it is. Like, yes, Georgia and Alabama have gotten there, but Georgia and Alabama were very good because before this was all a thing, or at least they were building to that point. Hell, they were already there. They met in the 2019 National Championship game before COVID and the portal and all of that. Like, that's not to say it can't be built a different way. I'm also not saying Ole Miss is building that a different way. They're going to become Georgia or Alabama. Don't mistake my words, but you're right. The pre-2021 and post-2021 is such a different world of college football. You can't really think about it the same way. And that maybe is probably ultimately above all else what kills the sustainability argument. It's like, okay, like that's not really the ecosystem we live in anymore. That's not what the rules of this game were. And Ole Miss is living by the new rules. And hey, if they have some, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm going to say this tongue in cheek, but some, you know, federal legislation that changes all of this, then I figured they'll adapt that way too. I don't think they're screwed either way. And it may change the tide, but Ole Miss is doing better job than anyone by living by the rules that currently governs this lawless existence. And then you mentioned the high school part of it. They, again, is their class currently as you think they're going to have it? And I'll be interested to see what it is post-Wednesday. Perfect? No. 
but it's not what we talked about last year where we he caught some shit for the, I mean, honestly, I mean, that is what it is. Caught some shit about kind of dumping on their lack of organization, high school recruiting, but the groundwork, whether it was Golding coming in or them realizing they need to have a little bit of a better balance, they're operating off a much higher base from the high school standpoint. I feel like than they were the last couple of years because of the groundwork they did before all of this madness. Yeah. I think Golding has been a massive part of that. It's you can't, say anything about the way that this high school stuff has been done without giving as much props to him as possible. Because if you look at their class and, you know, for shits and giggles, I'll pull it up. But I mean, it's, it is incredibly defensive heavy. Um, I'm like, give me five seconds. Eccles, Beavers. Franklin. They have two Beavers. I did not uh, – sorry to Cedric Beavers. Yes, <laughs> two, have two Beavers. I didn't remember Cedric Beavers yeah. as much as I, I remembered Cameron Beavers. But, yeah, you're exactly right. It's very defensive heavy. But guess what? Going into this past year, what did you figure they needed more of? Exactly they, that. No, exactly. They, they, they're going for needs, and they're killing it in doing so. If I can just pull up the stupid shit. Oh, here we go. Um, so, I mean, look, they're, they're 19th in the country, which is – kind of where Ole Miss has been under Kiffin for the entire time. That's fine. But the the bulk of this class, I mean, Cam Franklin is a borderline five-star. Deion Smith, even though he's not as five-star, is as good of a get-it receiver as you can have. I mean, what high school is listed there? Uh, that would be Jackson Academy, which yeah. was his, like, third high school. So don't give too much props. Um, I don't care. Like, <laughs> during the COVID year. He's an alum. I think hey. he's kind of He's kind of an alum. He's he's kind of an alum. Uh, but like Eccles, it's a guy that people thought was an offensive lineman. I remember when Siski and I we they used to ask us to do little Friday evals. It's like this guy's a hell of an interior offensive lineman. Well, now he's like a top one hundred player in the country as a defensive lineman. They were on him early. They were on him often, and they kept him. That that's the biggest thing I've noticed with this class is. When guys have committed, that's been it. And whether that's a Grove Collective thing or just their ability to recruit, I don't know. I mean, Cameron Beavers has been committed since who knows how long. Really good player. The two JUCO guys, I watched Raymond Collins' film, the linebacker. Guy's a monster. That, that That's a perfect JUCO player. You don't want to be too heavy on JUCO, but they got a really damn good one in that kid. Um, I mean, Travis Banks, four-star player from Alabama. Jeffrey Rush has been hurt, but he's another defensive lineman. Noriel White absolutely could be playing defense for this team, um, though he's on offense right now. He might stay there. Anthony Robinson, Destrahan, good. Cam Clark, that good. good. It's just like there's just a lot of good players. There's a lot of really good players that a lot of teams wanted, and Ole Miss has been able to really do well in-state in a big in-state year, which has always been kind of an Achilles heel. Believe me, I know it. I lived through one in 19. Um, and look, none of these guys, there's no guarantee these guys all come in are superstars. They could be like many players in this country right now and leave in the portal after one year. And you'd be like, oh, well, why do we waste our time on that? There's no right or wrong way to do it. And there's no sense that anything's going to be fixed anytime soon with this portal and legislation and Congress and blah, 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 blah. If I'm Ole Miss, I'd say, fuck that. Don't change anything. If we're going to be in this chaos and we've learned how to thrive into it, just keep it status quo. We're good here. Well, we figured it out, at least to the best of our abilities. It's up to everyone else to kind of get on board with the chaos. 
Um, so, I mean, just for both angles of what they've done in high school and it's not over until Wednesday and the portal, it, it's as good of an incoming class as Ole Miss has had. And I cannot remember when 13, 13, you think? Yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, those guys, it's very rare to sign four guys like Tony Connor, Tunsil, Treadwell and Kandichi guys who all immediately contribute uh, and then stay there and all end up getting drafted. Of course, Tony Connor is the biggest what if and maybe Ole Miss history. But, you know, the guys that got in the portal, they're going to be those kinds of guys. You know, a Deion Smith will be an immediate contributor and Princely and Barron and McDonald and Lawrence. It, it's like you're signing these elite high school guys because you know what they are. You've seen them play a shit ton of football. Um, and that's not even including Nolan, which, like I said, we're still on watch for that. It's just the immediate impact to this roster that the, that some of the guys they've gotten will have is why I would I would say it surely comes close to that. And that was a little bit before my time as an Ole Miss person. But I still remember sitting in the Episcopal High School library watching all those announcements and my friends would be like, damn, Ole Miss is doing something well. So I remember it. But I didn't really care. But uh, th- this is completely different. As uh, we look at Ole Miss's high school class, I got the same thing pulled up on another screen as you do. In the past, as we've done this, and as you continue to kind of be one more or two more years removed, it would be impossible to ask you, like, hey, break down this guy's film. But, like, as anything else, this podcast has evolved. Do you have any insights on this guy, Anthony Maddox, from Oak Grove High School? I only ask the hard-hitting stuff. He has a cowboy hat as his uh, on-three photo. Um, He might be a a social media post or two away from me being lobbying him as the starter. Apologies to the Dart family. But uh, what's a guy like if you see a cowboy hat on his 247 or on three photo? Yeah, I mean, that's impressive. It's clearly he's at A&M, I guess, in this photo because he was technically committed there and then flipped. Honestly, it's unfortunate you asked me about him. He's like one of the few guys that I actually have not sat down and watched yet um, i wasn't asking for a real breakdown i just love the cowboy hat i'll give it to you this way we're just going to do a wrap up here how many of these guys do you remember a lot about and is there anyone that sticks out among their high school class so this is really on the edge of guys that i actually don't know much about. i figured so it's, and then, what you're three finally, years removed from this now yeah this is finally the class it's funny right. i know much more about these guys that have been in the portal and if, yes. I, I don't really know exactly how they played everywhere they've been but i know those names i remember recruiting those names for sure um i Dion smith is the only one i have a lot of information on because we recruited him hard out of high school when he was at Provine, and then ended up at jackson academy um he is he is the real deal he is he is absolutely the real deal if he can get his shit together go to class once in a while, stay on the field, stay healthy. He's a guy that's going to make a real impact. He's long. He's athletic. He's a great route runner. He's an extremely impressive athlete. Um, He's got size. He's got length. He's got good enough speed. He's just a really good football player. Um, He didn't show a lot at LSU, but in the second game of the year against Central Michigan, which is the one everyone talks about, he was – everyone was saying, like, that was the same class as – um, let me think. As like Kayshawn Booty. Yeah. And uh, I don't, Neighbors was after that. But they, everyone was like, nah, like this guy, like he he's better than Brian Thomas. He's better than Neighbors. He's better than Boutte. Like he he's the real deal. He He's a difference maker. And he's had a long path to finally get to Ole Miss. But he's one I'm incredibly excited about. And honestly, that other Juco wide receiver, uh, Malik Willis's little brother, 
Yeah. I watched, I watched a little bit of him and he didn't get talked about a lot, but talk about like a specimen. Guy looks, he's like 6'3, 220, runs like a deer. I don't know if he's got any ball skills or any ability to actually like run a real route because he's basically just running goes every time in his film. But the guy looks like a fucking stud and he didn't get talked about a lot. Um, they've got a really good group here. And if they're able to make a move on the PJ Woodland kid, who's a really good player. Um, and maybe one or two others. I don't even know who they're recruiting in high school anymore. They got a chance to have a really good foundation to continue the ability to build this roster sustainably. Because you you can't have no returning players. You, you can't be deoning this thing the whole time. You need to have guys in house that you trust, especially in the offensive line room. And I, I think this is not an elite class because I mean, look, there's they're the 19th, which means they're probably like 10th in the SEC, which is crazy as that is. Uh, but they've got real guys I think can make an impact pretty early. So as we kind of transition out of this is we look at next year and everyone's like, oh, man, next year they're a playoff team. It's like, well, yeah, but then it still has to happen on the field. And Ole Miss has been very fortunate, whether it's good coaching or luck or math or whatever it is in coin flip games. We've talked about this a lot. Like they pretty much just kind of won all of them. I can't really think of a game that could have gone either way. We we're leaving with like some sense of stinging defeat other than maybe Alabama in 21, or if you want to count the Egg Bowl, even though there's other factors at play there in 22, it still has to happen, right? Like, the, if they go 9-3 and three next year and miss the playoff, that doesn't mean this whole concept is a failure. They just lost yeah. one too many football games. Like, uh, this is almost an impossible question to ask, but as you look forward to the 2024 season, Ole Miss gets Alabama and off their schedule regularly. You know, they get Georgia at home, Oklahoma at home. How would you contextualize expectations for next year for Ole Miss, if that makes any sense? I know that's a super broad way to ask it. The expectations have to be to make the playoff. Oh, 100%. It was that way before all this happened, though, was it not? Uh, Yes, but I think now it's been upped. I mean, I think you're you're going into a season where, let's say they land Nolan, maybe a few offensive linemen. It's impossible to say what this team and roster is going to look like, but they're reaching on to like a top eight, top 10 preseason ranking um, with the guys they got back, the guys they've added along with the schedule they have. I would imagine their over under in Vegas is going to be somewhere around nine or nine and a half. Um, the expectation should be and will be to make the playoff. Um, math always wins. And Ole Miss this year was basically undefeated in one-score games. That is borderline unsustainable. Um, they, if you remember the Vikings last year, were eight and zero in one-score games, went to the playoff, and lost, and they started this year zero and five in one-score games. It, it's just it's hard to look, even though you've seen it this year, and go look at that schedule next year and be like. Oh, that's the easiest schedule in the SEC. If anybody that got one with these two new teams added, they're going to go and ten and two, and they're going to beat Oklahoma at home and beat you know maybe beat LSU on the road or lose to Georgia. That'll be that. It never works out like that. But but I think what they've done in the portal, the freshmen that they'll have, the guys they have returning, I think their floor has been raised to ability to kind of avoid those. I mean, it's never it's impossible to avoid all of them. But I think they are going to be playing on a different playing field as a complete team compared to this year. I think this year they were able to win close games because they had a quarterback who's playing at a really high level. Uh, They had a coaching staff that understood this team. They were able to stay healthy and they made plays defensively. I think they're going to be able to have better quarterback play because of the more weapons they're going to have on offense. I think they're going to be better defensively. 
And I think they're going to find themselves just at a different caliber of a team than they were this year. Um, It's, you know, it's not apples and oranges, of course, but it's, it'll be very interesting to see how they are able to match and they can get the same results in close games as they did this year, next year. It's perfectly said. The best way to avoid being in amount of those amount of coin flip games is to have better players to where those don't turn into coin flip games. I mean, that's kind right. of the right. That's kind of the logic and all well, this. Simple like, enough. Yeah. yeah. Is this sustainable? I mean, no. But also, if you have better players, how many coin flip games you're going to play in? Whereas, you know, I mean, all joking aside, like in 21, I would have never guessed the 21 team would have gone 10 and 2. I would have never guessed the 23 team went 10 and 2. I could have accurately preseason predicted that this team would go 10 and 2. And maybe that's kind of gets to what we're actually talking about of like, yes, they are in a handful of games. Kiffin's a very good coach. They manage the clock well. They manage game plans well for the most part. It's not a shock that they won a ton of those games, maybe at the rate that they did. But now they're getting to the point where it's like, hey, maybe you only have two of those a year instead of five. And so it's not as surprising when you go 10 and 2. And that's, that's going to be the fascinating part about all. I mean, of you us. can go through it. I mean, we can just go through it right now. Yeah, let's just do it. Uh, I mean, they'll beat Furman. They'll beat Middle Tennessee. Wake Forest on the road. I, I like their odds. I have no idea what Wake Forest is bringing back. Georgia I won't Southern. go coin flip just because if they lose that game, it's like what what the hell do they do to themselves? In my opinion, a hundred percent. That would be a bizarre star. It's kind of like Tulane this year. It's like, man, if they lose a Tulane, we have completely different conversations about the Alabama LSU games coming up. Uh, Georgia Southern at home, pretty good G5 team. They will win. And then you get into the meat of it. Um, You've got Kentucky at home. Should not be a coin flip, at least. It it should not be a coin flip game. Uh, They've done decent in the portal. You know, Brock Vandegrift is a guy that has shown you nothing at Georgia, despite being a five-star. So they're breaking him in. At home, I just don't see it. Um, you got out at South Carolina, no idea who their quarterback's going to be. They have had a terrible end to the season, but they've actually been decent in the portal. They have a really good class coming in, a really hard place to play. Um, no matter what, it is always a hard place to play. But I, I just I don't see I, – I think Ole Miss will be a favorite. I think they will win that game. And then it comes to the biggest two-game stretch of the season. We honestly don't even have to go through the rest because this is it. It's Oklahoma and LSU. Ole Miss has an incredible schedule next year, considering what they could have had, the teams that they drew, the non-conference. They got fucked on this, though. LSU has a bye week before this game. Now, they have a tough schedule to start. So, like, they I mean, they could be beat up a little bit. Um, but they've got a bye week before this game, and Elish, Ole Miss will be on back-to-back road games in the SEC. That's about as bad of a situational spot as you can get on a football schedule. Not to mention that you're going to Baton Rouge, uh, where you haven't won since, what, like 2008. Um, so, I mean, look, that, that's a shitty situational spot. And if anyone knows anything about gambling, about football – a lot of this shit is as situational as anything. It ain't just about Jimmy's and Joe's every single time. Um, winning that game will be massive going forward in their ability to make the playoffs. I think they're going to be a better football team than LSU next year. I really do believe that. Unless LSU does something crazy in the portal coming up, um, it looks like they're going to retain Matt House unless things change after the bowl game. They have not added impact players on defense in the portal at all. I, I just I think they're going to be a better football team than LSU, but situationally that will be a really tough spot for for Ole Miss. Uh, and then Oklahoma at home after your bye week, I think you're going to be a lot better than Oklahoma. 
I, I think you're going to win that football game. Um, Jackson Arnold's a hell of a player. He's still going to be a starting new new deal, new conference, new team. They've lost like their entire offensive line. They've lost skilled players. They, they have not figured out the portal coming in despite having a really good season this year. I, it's those two games. You've got one really shitty situational spot at LSU, and you've got one great opportunity with Oklahoma at home. You win one of those or both of those, you're really set up for success going down the road because it's at Arkansas. We know what Georgia is. Florida, who the fuck knows what's going to be going on there then. And the Mississippi State team, at least you get them at home. Um, so it's, it's – Are we in one of those years? Are you looking at the second bye? Ole Miss has a second off week in November. This is news to me. Did you see this? Yes, we are in one of those years. They have a bye week after they play Georgia. That tells you how washed I am. I, I don't know if this ties – Yeah, it's every – every every the last seven, year I was a reporter that was the case. Yeah, it's every six or seven years you get oh. a late Thanksgiving and the season starts that weekend uh, like earlier than – Labor Day, so it's like August thirty first, and two by week. And I, I think I don't know this for a fact, but I think after this year, I, there's a chance that they keep that. I don't know that, but I think you're going to see a lot of coaches. They're playing so many more conference games all over the country against more difficult opponents. Then you're adding on more games in the back end with this playoff. I, I think two by weeks are here to stay. I don't know that, but I I, be, I believe that might be something that comes up throughout this season. That would make a lot of sense. I've never thought about it like that, but I mean, as we've gotten rid of the farce of why can we add two more games? These student athletes can't handle that. It's like, well, the FCS guys have been doing it for years. What's what in cool. the world is another bye week? That makes a ton of sense. You know, all jokes aside, though, you get the Georgia game November 9th. Who knows what Florida will be at that point? But like that, the bye week before you go to Gainesville before playing the Egg Bowl at home could actually have some immense value at Ole Miss, depending on where they're at at that point in the year. Yeah, because especially I mean, look, maybe maybe Florida's good. Maybe DJ Lagway takes the job and he's just fantastic, and they have a really good team this year. I sure hope not. Uh, I hope you're going into you know Ben Hill Griffin and they're absolutely terrible and they've already fired him and it's it's mayhem. Because that place is a obviously a very tough place to play, especially in November with stakes, especially going, I'm assuming Egg Bowl will be five days later, um, as it usually is. So no. Oh a- no. If FBS schedules is right, we're back on Saturday. Yeah, but I don't I don't think that's set. Okay, so that's a guess. It's, it's that weekend, but I do not believe I, I believe they're playing on egg on Thursday. I think you're right. I don't think that's said either. I don't know whether they are or not, but that's uh, yeah. They, they made sure to make that caveat like multiple times in the two and a half hour schedule release. <laughs> Show on ESPN. They're like, these are the weekend games. They can be moved because obviously you've had Arkansas, Missouri, and you'll have A&M in Texas. I don't think that Ole Miss will be playing on that Saturday. It'll be, it'll be Thursday. Are you a bigger college football like show content consumer than me? Because I think the last time we did a pod was like when they were doing the playoff release and we were texting before we recorded. And I'm like, I knew it was going to get screwy. We talked about what we thought about Florida State. I didn't have any like overly strong opinions, right? I get it, but it sucks. But I couldn't watch a two and a half hour production of whatever the hell that was to tell me the stupidity that I didn't want to learn and was going to get mad about anyway. Like, did you watch the schedule release? I did not. I just took it after the fact. I was like, God, I'll figure this out later. I just, I can't do the talking heads kind of talking sense into a product right now that makes very little sense to me. 
I the only reason I watched the uh, the playoff announcement deal was because I was playing golf with two Texas graduates and a guy that uh, went to Alabama. Into the game two, there, Texas graduates and Alabama graduates. So they were obviously locked in on where they were going to figure out the ticks the tickets and stuff. So we were watching it. And of course I have two massive futures on Washington and Texas to win the national championship. So I was trying to figure out, hopefully they would play each other, which they are in new Orleans where I will be um, new year's day. So that was really exciting to have that going into the final game. Um, I had the TV on in the background for the schedule release. Um, I have our new dog who I have to entertain at all times. I need something on the TV. Oddly enough, she likes to watch TV. So sometimes she'll stop biting everything and just kind of focus on what's what's up there. So I, I was watching it a little bit. But um, no, I don't watch much of that stuff because as we've learned, and I don't know if you saw, I know everyone hates Matt Moscona for whatever reason, but he had an absolute all-timer rant on, I guess that was after the playoff predictions on all this TV shit. It was as good as it gets. Um so no, I don't. I don't watch that much of it, but I have, for whatever reason, watched the last two. I'm not saying you look tired, but we both are new parents of uh, <laughs> not actual kids, but uh, of 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 uh, canine kids. It is a gigantic pain in the ass. Um, it is a lot. It is as much or more as I than I expected, um, because it's it's like hour by hour. It's like an hour you love them and you're so happy you have them, and then the next hour it's like I fucking hate this dog. <laughs> I, I know. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean this thing poops at five a.m. on command? Like, get get out of here, hold it. No, honestly, that is the least of my issues. I, I can wake up and break. We have a, a door right outside our our room where I can just pick up pick up the dog bring her outside. She goes, she's actually pretty good about going pee, bring her inside. She likes the kennel. She goes back to sleep. It's, it's what I'm about to have to do after this, where I go eat dinner get her out of the kennel where she's in right now. And she's going to be fucking psycho. <laughs> and she's going to be trying to piss everywhere. And she's going to be biting the couch. And now she's got this thing where she likes to get under the chair. So she can, she can bite the bottom of the chair. And she's realized that if you bite the bottom of the chair, there's some fuzzy stuff that comes out where she likes to eat. It's just, it's a lot. That's the worst. <laughs> it is. We are heroes. Every single person listening to this with newborn kids is like these guys are the world's biggest assholes. The kids don't go anywhere. That they is stay- that was my argument. They sleep. They stay in the crib. You know where they are. You don't check neighbors' yards for your kids. The dog people are the real sufferers out there. Absolutely, hundred percent. This is really practice for having a kid, and I don't know if I'm succeeding. <laughs> I'm not the same way. I looked up this morning. MC had been gone. She did her wedding dress fitting in Dallas. And this little guy was wanting to go out at five. And then I begged him to sleep to like six. I even stuck him in the bed with me. But no, six ten. He's like, you know what's getting bitten? Your ankles. You're going to go to work bloody, pal. Um, the other day, he pooped in the doorway after I took him outside and then smashed his paws in. And I'm like, hey, man, here's this nice shit burger for you to clean up before you go to work. Like, really appreciate that. It just, they're vindictive. I was ready to give Eddie to the uh, way to the pound a couple times over the last week. So it is what it is. I heard it gets better. I like him. He's very adorable. And again, every parent out there on earth is like, these guys have no idea, but it is decent practice. That'll be my last rational take on the matter. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, Frankie shit, shit on the floor earlier. I put her nose in it to tell her no. She gobbled it all up. <laughs> She's like, God damn it. You can't do nothing right with these things. I have no idea what to do. Um, and I don't really care that people think that we're complaining to complain. We'll, we'll let us be, let, we'll let us it slide. Last thing before we get to the fastest growing segment on American soil, we've done this 
the last couple of years where there's been a whole lot of new and you don't know a whole lot about this old Miss team going in. It's like, hey, portal guys, hey, high school guys, I think they might be fine here, but who the hell knows? And the schedule set up, particularly in 22, a little bit in 23, of like, hey, we're not going to go till X or we're not going to know anything about this team till Y. I don't know if you've thought about this yet. There'll be several message board posters that like to give us hell about asking the question, is this team good? I never thought we asked it at an invalid point. That's not going to be the case next year. Have you thought about it? what it's going to be like covering a team in the capacity that you do in terms of us sitting on this pod? And it was like, hey, that thing is out the question. But like, what are we looking for to figure out if they're actually going to get this to the finish line? Because to me, that's going to make a whole different level of watching. And I know we're months away from it, but it was a thought I had on the way home. I, it'll be a very different evaluation going into next season. I, I think if they finish this class portal wise and high school wise, like we think they are, then your expectations and what you think about the team going into the season will be vastly different than they were this year. Um, I think that it will be the first time in a long time. Like I said, this is all pending how they add who leaves high school that you can go into a season and like realistically think about the possibility of Ole Miss making the playoff and then potentially winning the national championship, which is probably something that I mean, I'm not my Ole Miss fandom is is pretty new, but can't imagine it's happened very often. I haven't been <laughs> a lot for it, other than the fact that you know when Heat Freeze started seven and zero a couple of times, and I don't mean to make make light of that, but by the time it got to the real, well, I was there for that, and you know it happened and it was real and it ended about as quickly as it started. So let's say it was an outside shot by the time it really got down to business. Right, exactly. By the time it got to November, um, so. That will, I mean, leads me to believe that, yeah, I think this team's just going to be pretty good to start. And how good they're going to be, I think you'll know probably by Kentucky. I, I mean, maybe at Wake Forest, we go put like a 50-burger on the road in the ACC against a team that's actually been pretty decent in the last few years. Uh, then you'll know. I mean, I, it's you know, talking about those Hugh Freeze years, especially in 2015. I'll, I'll like never forget they were playing Fresno State at home. And I mean, I think they put up like 60 points on them. And I was like, you know, I don't know much about this team yet, but they can fucking score because every time they don't score, it feels like a massive disappointment. Um, I think it'll potentially be a pretty similar scenario. If they come in on offense and they're clicking on all cylinders early, the defense takes time sometimes. You will never know that off the bat. But if offense is clicking immediately, uh, I think you can be like, okay, I think we're good here. Last, last Ole Miss thing that I thought of, something you said in there reminded me of it. You talked about other programs within the state. Again, as I, I think back to like writing something I've been writing for the last couple of weeks and how this is all gone, the importance of Kiffin getting hired at Ole Miss when he hired, he got hired in this changing landscape, I'm not sure can be understated because I hate to keep punching down and punching, punching back state for the lack of a better phrase, but what are if we're doing this podcast and this is the first year of the Jeff Levy era coming off a five and seven season? I mean, one, I can tell you the listener, listenership numbers should not be what they are. Number two, what do you talk about in December? Like, hey, this is all exciting. This is all great, but it makes me think that about like the. I, this is a bad way to phrase it. The have-nots, at least currently, of like, okay, like how do we get to nine wins next year in an era where it's playoff or bust? Like, if you thought about that piece of it, it's like, what, what would what would we be talking about? And how demoralizing is that to kind of have that expectation? But I mean, that's the way it is these days. You know, everything is there's they've opened up this possibility 
of probably an extra 15 teams thinking that they can compete for a national championship. And if you're not one of those teams, you're, you're looking at yourself like, well, how do we get there? And if we know that we can never get there, and I'm not saying this, we state can never get there. Cause that's, I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, there's not much to talk about. <laughs> I mean, they're in a weird spot. They have a brand new head coach, but it, it doesn't feel like they've figured out anything more than they used to do, which is just put in a lot of money for, you know, their big high school player. And then they'll, go heavy juco like nothing's changed there at all in terms of the portal they, they have not i cannot think in the past three years of like one portal guy they've added where anyone was like wow mystery state got that guy zero none of them and that's that says everything it has nothing to do with levy just being there and figuring it out i mean he he's on the back foot from the from the start with this whole deal and maybe they will and that I mean, is very possible that they'll they'll figure it all out but i mean Ain't looking good early, at least. Um, and I think from their standpoint, from you know that group of South Carolina and Arkansas and Kentucky and surprisingly even Florida, it, it's just like what where are we going from here? And the the job security these days with the with the new 12 team playoff will be incredibly different because that will be the expectation for instead of like 10 programs it'll be like 25 programs like we should be competing to make the playoff and if you're not you're gone but when you're gone that means your whole team is probably leaving you set that clock back over and over and over again and that's been mississippi state just talking about them specifically that's been their thing i mean look mike leach passed away impossible situation yeah they ended up you know, with Arnett, and that was a total disaster. And now they're on levy. They've had players leaving, and they're not exactly supplementing in the portal or dominating high school recruiting like anyone else. It's just it, – it's a tough situation for them, but they're not the only one in that situation at all. No, they're not. And I guess the best way to put a bow on it, though, you talk about adaptation. I mean, I'm not exactly a Shark Tank contestant, but what's the last business you ever heard of where their market conditions changed significantly and they're like, no, we're going to keep chugging through and it worked out okay? Not many. No, we've the whole tale, uh, you know, of Blockbuster and Adapter Die. Yeah, I mean, Adapter Die and Kodak. And, you know, it's just, it's whether they have the feasibility to do it or they have the knowledge and the building to do it. I think Levy will will change that or he will die trying because he he's seen it at Ole Miss, at Oklahoma. He'll bring it there. And his, his whole thing has been like, we got to win. We got to win quickly. And in order to win quickly, you're going to have to start portaling some players. They, they've done some. They've gotten some like in the past few days, but not like impact guys by any means. Lastly, it is the fastest growing segment on American Solo. It is Soccer Corner. We have anarchy in the streets at Soccer Corner. This might be the first time I've ever looked at these standings as I pulled this up. We've got Arsenal leading the league at 39 points, Liverpool and Aston Villa at 38 behind them, and Manchester City, the powerhouse of all powerhouses, five points behind in fourth place. What the hell's going on? It's lucky to be five. They should have gotten a red card against Palace on Saturday. They didn't. You go up 2-0, Palace gets a penalty in the 94th minute and ends up tying it. So they draw at home against Palace. Um, they're lucky to be at 34 points. They really should be at 
at 32. They should not have those two extras. Um, they are struggling. They've had injuries in the midfield. Rodri is there is probably their best player. Um, and Holland has missed a few matches. And even when he's been there, he hasn't been as effective and as dominant as he was last year. And I think the top of this table and the top of this league is, I mean, it's really, really good. Uh, Arsenal is a really good team. Liverpool and United had a 0-0 draw. Very boring Liverpool-United game on Sunday, which was huge for United. But Aston Villa, all they do is win at home. Every, I mean, it's just incredible what they've been able to do. Uh, Tottenham has like 19 injuries and they're still getting results. Um, even West Ham, who like I was left for dead going into this season, has like really come on as of late. Brighton's been hit or miss, but like the city is just not out here dominating like they have been. Um, their their depth is still incredible. They had two freaking 17-year-olds score in a Champions League game on Tuesday, guys you wouldn't even have heard of. Uh, but their top end has just not been playing as well as other teams have been. They they just they've been not getting results they usually get at all by any means. And it's not you know death nail for them by any means, but it's it's different than the past few years for sure. Has your opinion changed on them being such a heavy favorite to win the league? Because I know I did this with you a couple years ago, or last year actually, maybe I can't remember. Was it Arsenal or Liverpool? Or was like it, it actually- was Arsenal last year? We're yes. like. Are they finally going to win it? Are they going to win it? And by the and way, you're not the only one asking that. It was everyone else watching. It's like, oh, they're finally going to do it. And of course, they bottled it towards the end. Is this different, uh, though? I think this is different. I, I think for City, this is different. That doesn't mean they're not going to win it. And honestly, if I look at the odds right now, they'd probably still be the favorite. Um, but I don't think it'll be as smooth and clean. And I don't think it'll be a two team race. Uh, I don't predict that Aston Villa will keep up with the top here. Um, and Chelsea is getting healthier and a little bit more predictable, and they're they're playing a little bit better at least. Um, they just have more challengers. And, I mean, last year, it wasn't near this close at the top, not even close. It was Arsenal and City and, like, a little bit of Liverpool. And everyone else. And then everyone else. This year, I mean, there's, I mean, there's five, six teams within 10 points at the top. And United make it 11 teams or seven teams was within 11 points at the top. And we're not even halfway through this, or maybe we're just at the halfway mark. Um, but the difference, I mean, you look at Liverpool, City, Arsenal, a lot of those teams um, still have European football to play. So now you, you're finally into that stage of like, what's our priority? Are we going for the Champions League? Are we going to go for the league? Uh, we're getting into that kind of Christmas time of soccer which is the best time because there's matches like all the time you have fa cup champions league league play it's all the time and if you don't have the depth in your roster to be able to rotate your lineups you're in trouble and city right now has just not been able to figure out how to rotate well which has got them dropping points to teams they shouldn't be I'm going to ask two questions to close this. One actually proves that I do enjoy this and watch it. The second one will prove still what an idiot I am. We'll start with the first one. So I was watching it on Sunday, I believe, morning. I watched whatever the morning match was that I had on my TV. And then I believe it was Manchester United at Liverpool. Yeah. And this shows how much meaner British announcers are and British media people are than than American people are. They made it sound like that Manchester United should not show up to play this because of whatever happened last time. I mean, literally the host of the TV pregame show was like, 
I have, I'm not even gonna do a British accent, but like I have many Man U fans in my life that have been dreading this for days. I'm like, oh my God, like what's about to happen here? We're about to witness a murder. Well, they draw the game nil nil, but like, why is that? Like, is that a thing in English soccer where it's just like, okay, you don't have a good history here, but like you're screwed. I was very, for a, a premier club like Man United, I was like, they're talking about them. They're like, this is the little giants. Like what, what is going on here? The history over at Anfield has not been great the last okay. few times we've played there. I think last year it was like seven to one, or like maybe it was worse than that. I cannot remember the actual score line. And I think it was year- seven to something because they kept referencing that easily. Yeah. Like it was either seven zero or seven one. Uh Liverpool has just dominated United and Anfield the last like two or three years. So I, I honestly understand the sentiment from them of being like, why are they even coming to play? Like they're they're in such big trouble. United Form-wise, has not been great. They haven't been awful. They're just incredibly inconsistent. Liverpool has been really good. So, no, I predicted – I mean, Liverpool was a minus 300 favorite. The over-under was like three and a half goals. It just completely went AWOL. And, honestly, Liverpool should have won that game. They had like 30 shots and like 10 of them were on goal, and they didn't get a single one in. I think United had like two shots on goal. It was a complete sit-the-bus fest. Uh, but they got a result, uh, a kind of surprising result over there. United has been t- – Terrible on the road against big six teams in the last like three seasons. Awful. Uh, so no, I don't. I'm not surprised they were shitting on United going into that game. They deserved to, uh, but somehow they came away with some points. Then last one does does the EPL have a uniform issue? Because the other day I can't remember if I was watching Saudi Castle versus someone or my Brentford Bees, who I'm of course a diehard fan of against someone, but they both have very iconic stripes in their primary uniform. Well. Whichever one it was is wearing the secondary uniform, and then their opponent was wearing a uniform that looked exactly like uh, either Saudi Castles or Brentford's. I think it may have been Brentford versus Sheffield. I could have been wrong about. I could be wrong about this. I swear to God, I spent half the match thinking Brentford was Sheffield and Sheffield was Brentford. For dumbasses like me, do they need more uniform variety? Because I swear to God, I spent sixty-five minutes of some match I watched thinking one team was the other, and my brain broke when I realized that was not the case. There's a lot of similarities in a couple of these uniforms. A lot of similarities in a lot of the uniforms. I mean, like West Ham and Villa and Burnley all have that like claret and light blue. Yes, like, it's hard to figure them out. And then you've got- I was like, what the hell am I watching right now? No. <laughs> it can be really weird. So all, all the teams in the Premier League have like three three kits, we'll call them. Okay. Um, and they had their like standard ones. And a lot of teams in soccer, for whatever reason, have like the vertical stripe standard. And many in the Premier League do as well. So usually they do a pretty good job of like contrasting those. But you will watch some games where you're like, damn, like they look like the exact same fucking team out there. Yeah. Okay. I can't be the only one. I was like, what am I watching right now? What is this? Yeah. I mean, now it shouldn't be that hard. No, but if you actually know anything about the sport, you know who's which. But some asshole like me, I was like, I don't know. Like, who's who's who? Yeah, no, it can be weird sometimes. And honestly, the score bug this year for USA and NBC, where they these matches have been on, is like the worst score bug ever. It's terrible. Okay. And they don't even show you, like, you know, a lot of times they'll show you, like in football, like, oh, this team's wearing this color under there. And they just like have not had that this year for whatever reason. So you got a little bit going for you. Change the kit, you Brits. This has been Soccer Corner, the fastest growing segment on American soil. He is Walden Rodenberg. We appreciate the time as always. We'll check in sometime around the bowl game, which I keep saying is a ways off. It's like a week and a half, but appreciate Yeah, it's not that far away. (laughs) We'll watch you later. All right, see you, man. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Appreciate you guys sticking with us. I did not intend to have a uh, week-long podcast hiatus like I did 
over the last 10 days or so, but some scheduling stuff, plus uh, busy with the day job and all that kind of got in the way, but plenty of content coming for you down the pipe before Christmas and leading up into the Peach Bowl, uh, which I'll be in attendance at. I don't know why that matters to anybody, just thinking out loud here. Anyway, thanks for listening to this podcast. As always, got a player interview coming later in the week and a couple other things, as well as that story I kept teasing about the Grove Collective. So you can check that out at rebelgrove.com at some point this week, probably Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere around there. Anyway, we'll be back in a couple of days.